Welcome to It's All About the Questions. We're learning to ask the right questions. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning. Welcome to today's show. It's If you're listening to this live, it's Tuesday morning here in Vero Beach, Florida, and I get to do the favorite part of my week, which is... And get to talk to people that I find incredibly fascinating that have shifted my perceptions around things or in some cases just made me laugh and happy and gave me new information. And today's guest is no different than my guests on other weeks, except I've never had a car guy on my show before. And as my listeners know, as all of you know, I had been shopping for a car, found a car, had a little issue, and cars i discovered this incredible man by the name his site is alex on autos he has a website big youtube following facebook he's all over the place and his reviews of cars are the best thing since sliced bread as far as i'm concerned if you are thinking about buying a car you need to go up to his youtube channel or into facebook alex on autos and take a watch and he graciously agreed to be on the other side of the mic for once and be on my show. So, Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Laura. You know, I found you because I'm like, there has to be some way for me to reduce the number of cars I'm looking at under certain criteria without having to go drive all over the place. Because where I live in Florida, there's your standard dealers, but most of them tend to be a drive away. (laughs) Right. <laughs> and it's like, all right, I you know, I want a car. I don't want just want to buy a car because the car dealer happens to be right here. I want a car that lights me up and that fulfills my needs. And your videos really helped with that. Well, thank you. That's that's generally our, our hope is that we can try and be an informative outlet rather than uh, an entertainment outlet, which I think a lot of YouTube channels and a lot of car reviewers tend to fall into the uh, the trap, for lack of a better word, of trying to be entertaining rather than trying to be educational or informative. Um, and I know from personal experience, and, and, and then realize it sounds funny, I, I drive two, three cars every week. I fly all over the place. I'm in Newfoundland, Canada right now, driving a see pickup truck. Um, and my interaction with dealers is exactly the same as your interaction with dealers and everybody else's interaction with dealers. I only ever see a car dealer once every four or five or whatever many years it takes me to, to get a new car. Um, and it, it, it always it interests me that, uh, you know, my dealer experiences are the same as your dealer experiences and everyone else's. Um, but that kind of detracts from the car in a way um, because I see every car and try and, and look at them in a, a holistic and agnostic fashion Um and in a way, you can't do that when you're interacting with dealers, and the dealer can color the way that you think about the car. Yeah, and I really noticed that coloring that you talked about. I I often like to test drive not the base models. I want a fully loaded one because mm-hmm. typically it tends to be the most comfortable for the seat, probably has a little better tire, or maybe more acoustic glass or something like that, and more features. And then I can go, all right, well, I don't necessarily need this feature set. What's the one below it? But I'd like to drive the top. And lately, I've had dealers go to me, well, well, this is the top. And it's not. It just happens to be the one they have on the lot they want to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And I find yeah, that, that frustrating. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's definitely a common problem with dealers. And being your own best advocate is is always going to be the best thing to do there with the dealers. Go in knowing as much as you can. Um, and and if they if they try and steer you a particular way, re-steer them. And and frankly, if if that dealer doesn't work for you, then go visit another dealer. It's always, in my mind, at any rate, it's always better to just um, end it early rather than getting frustrated or upset with the dealer and say, you know what, we're just going to go to a different dealer. Um, and and even calling them in advance is is helpful because um, dealers will will know that you're more serious if you call and set up an appointment and, and set expectations in advance. Say, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I want. Um, that's going to be your best path to success. Now, what if you have a bad um, interaction with a dealership, but you know you want a specific car, but the other dealer is hours away, but you know you really want that car? Do you recommend doing that? Because somebody's got to service the car. Right. And there I would actually say that the the odd thing about dealers is the service side and the sales side are often totally different heads of the entity. It's like, you know, it's a multi-headed animal somehow. And um, I've been in both situations where I've researched and really had a bad interaction with one dealer, but had serviced the car at that same dealer. Um, and so I bought the car somewhere else and then continued to go there for service. Um, or there was simply a better deal somewhere else at a different dealer. Um the service departments I've found generally seem to be more customer focused because they're the repeat source of revenue from you. So they're much more interested in keeping you happy than the sales side because once you've bought a car, you're, you're done. It's a one, a one interaction event. And um, most dealers actually make more of their money on service or used cars than on new cars. So if you're buying a new car, they want to make sure that your service experience is positive. Because they want to keep you over the life of the car, keep going back right. for everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, exactly. And and of course, warranty claims are something that you know they're not coming out of your pocket; they're coming out of the manufacturer's pocket. So generally, especially with new cars, those those in those service experiences within the warranty period. Um, and if you're buying a luxury car that has uh, service regular maintenance services like oil changes and air filters, that sort of thing, those are all included in the package deal. They're going to be much more interested in making you feel happy as a customer because you're not paying for those services the manufacturer is, and they want to get that revenue in. Now, when you first started doing these car reviews, what made you decide? Because I have a lot of listeners that are also in the business of Internet marketing and, and doing things on the Internet. What made you pick cars? I mean, you and your husband live on a nine-acre organic farm. You are total Silicon Valley geeks in a lot of ways. Why did you decide to step into cars? Were you like a car geek? I was all, I've was. i always been an unusual car person in that I like new cars. So um, people will, will talk to me about their classic whatever, and my eyes will slowly glaze over and I will <laughs> happily nod. But um, in my head... I would much rather have a new car because it's safer and it has the gadgets that I want. Um, and, and the gadget I think was what drew me into cars because a car is going to be the biggest and most complicated gadget that most of us will ever buy. Um, and I used to be a technical writer 
and ended up getting into the the car review writing industry because there was a site that was looking for someone with more of a technical background to do a technology explanations, that sort of thing. Um, and then just sort of stumbled on into the video process later. It was a slow, slow movement down the wormhole. You know, you, you said to me when I asked you, to be on my show that you prefer to be on the other side and you know editing is your friend and stuff but even looking at some of your earlier videos you seem like a natural oh thank you you know editing I, is definitely my friend <laughs> <laughs> but yet i watch your videos and i go they don't look edited i mean honestly oh. they don't you, you just seem yeah. so natural and comfortable for for a thirty minute show, we normally have about two hours of of video that have to be condensed. Gotcha. You'll end up saying the wrong thing or just sort of wandering off into the weeds on some sort of thought, and then at some moment you've realized that you've spent a full ten minutes discussing some widget that no one's going to care about. Although there might be one person that cares about it, you obviously did since you went off on it for ten minutes, right? <laughs> That's true. There could be that one widget that, you know, um, I, 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 I've always, the way things work has always interested me. So I've always tried to explain how some of the more unusual or differentiating features or systems work in a car. Um, because I think that if you understood it, it's not going to bother you as much or, or you're going to accept it perhaps a bit more. It tends, tends to come in with hybrids and plug-in hybrid vehicles a lot um, because some people would say, well, why does this hybrid drive the way that it does? Um, or why is it that this plug-in hybrid only has a 10-mile range? What good is that to me? And if you understood the, the engineering rationale behind it, I think that it would make more sense. And then you could properly decide whether it was the right car for you or not. That's interesting that you said that about the hybrids and the length, because here in Florida, we have had two years in a row where people evacuated for hurricanes. And last year, Irma had a mandatory uh, evacuation for a lot of people in South Florida. And electric cars, Teslas included, were stranded on the side of the road because Mm -hmm. they didn't have the range to get out and there was no place to plug in for these people to charge their cars and how are they going to evacuate and all of a sudden it became a different conversation depending on where you live with your car indeed yes um there are definitely some limitations to to electric cars still um i review a lot of electric cars and i actually have one at the moment myself um but like many electric car owners it ends up being a second car or the commuter car or a special use car um, and longer-range EVs like Teslas have, have been able to break through that particular barrier to use case because they have a range that can be used like a normal car. But in, in a hurricane situation, especially if your power's up, you, you could theoretically go to a supercharger station in your Tesla and charge it in 30 minutes and, and get another few hundred miles. But um, but if your power's out, then that, that is still a problem. It's totally a problem. And with that, we're going to have to take a break for uh, our commercial break. We'll be right back with Alex Dykes of Alex on Autos. Alex, my producer has your website up in the booth. He's like, this is really cool. 
<laughs> so now now he's like hooked on your stuff as well sitting there in, in the booth which is really exciting and he's like all right well when our lease comes up i'm gonna go here and look at this just to have a better idea before i start so you've got another fan uh, already just from being on my show <laughs> yay <laughs> all right we were talking about hybrid cars and I was with some friends over the weekend who had bought uh, a hybrid car and they discovered she kept getting sick in the car and couldn't understand why. And a doctor said that he thinks she has an EMF problem from the frequencies of the electromagnetic frequencies and stuff. And they bought an EMF meter. And they put it in the car, and the car was really low, three or less, until they braked. And every time they hit the brakes on the hybrid car, it went up to over 100, and she would get nauseous and sick. Hmm. Have you ever heard of anything like that with, with all the cars that you've driven that are the hybrids and the electrics? I haven't had a problem, but I have heard of, of a few people that have had issues before. Um seem to think that there might have been some arbitration or legal action against some of the hybrid vehicle manufacturers as a result. Um, but I know it, it tends to be fairly rare, but there do, pe- do see new people that have more of a, a sensitivity to that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I know I have issues with it as well. Maybe you should uh, put add EMF to your ratings with uh, some of those cars. <laughs> That would be interesting. I'd, I'd have to figure out a way to standardize test that, I suppose. I don't know if anybody actually does standardize tests on that. I don't believe that the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety has anything along those lines. No, but sort of like one of the things I love is you have the noise ratings for your cars because I'm having yes, this issue <laughs> where I keep getting triggered by sound and get vertigo and nausea and you have these decibel ratings I know there's EMF meters maybe you could just add mm-hmm. that saying you know hey this isn't anything particular but if you're sensitive boom here's what the reading says <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to look into that and see how that goes yeah it would be kind of kind of fascinating which which leads me to this question how did you decide what category of things you were going to rate the cars on did that develop over time or you just knew because i've seen some of the early ones but the listeners haven't but it has definitely developed over time and and the way that was done the ratings has changed over time as well so um we used to give everything a a grade score and then people decided uh, some of our listeners and viewers decided that um they would prefer specific numbers for acceleration braking rather than a, a sort of general grade score. Um, but we're stuck with the grade scores for the other categories. So we, and, and they're always within the same category. So if I'm talking about a Honda Accord versus a Toyota Camry, I'm not going to give them a, an F rating in handling because it doesn't handle like a supercar, uh, because that would be silly. No one's going to cross shop those. Um, and that causes some some more enthusiast-type car people to get offended, saying, well, how can you possibly give a Honda Accord an A in handling? But it's always relative. And, you know, you have to try and be logical and serve the customer that's shopping in these categories. How do you know... I, I mean, I know you get a lot of information from 
car dealers on, on certain things. Like you, before the show, we were talking, and you know, you said you're in Newfoundland for a GMC truck launch, and I'm like, well, how did they decide where they're going to launch? And you get all this information from the dealers as well about well, we sell more. I think you said hybrid cars on the coast than we do in the Midwest. More trucks in certain areas. These trim levels. How do you decide what cars you're going to drive? That's an excellent question. Um, our target is always new cars. Um, so the, the newer the vehicle is, if manufacturers significantly change something or released a completely new model, those are the ones that we'll definitely target. Um, and then there's availability. So I, I live in, in California, uh, in Northern California specifically. So for my area, the, the manufacturers have to have the vehicles available for review. Um, so Honda, Toyota, General Motors, Ford, everybody, they have actually a fleet of vehicles that the press can borrow. Um, and a lot of people ask if, if, if reviews are in any way reimbursed or that sort of thing by car companies, and the answer is no. It's a very peculiar thing, really, to be in this industry because you just call up General Motors and say, I would like to review uh, an, a Chevy Camaro. And uh, they'll say either there's one here or there isn't one here. Um, and if there isn't one, they'll maybe they'll try and find one for you, uh, or maybe you have to wait. And if there is one for you, then they just deliver a car, and it's all, you're on your own. Uh, you can do whatever you want with the car, say whatever you want about the car. Um, you have it for a week, and then you send it back. Um, it's it's like the most peculiar rental car experience ever. <laughs> have you ever been turned down for a car you wanted to drive? It does happen now and then, um, but then I generally don't ask for cars that are more likely to get turned down. So if you're, I mean, the most, most logical ones that would get turned down would be exotic cars, Ferraris, Lamborghinis, um, Porsches, etc. But our channel is always focused on consumer vehicles. So my personal target is under $100,000 and a car that sells more than 10,000 units a year. That's mostly what we would look for. Uh, to actually do a review on, um, because I don't think that someone that buys a five hundred thousand dollars supercar really cares how well a child seat fits in the back. <laughs> they probably got a minivan for that, or people for that. Uh, they probably um, have people for that. <laughs> exactly. So um, our format of review just doesn't seem to work well with that kind of car. Um, but aside from that, we really have never been turned down by by anybody. So. Um, any cars that are out there and available that, that we've wanted to review we've been able to get. Now, not that long ago, you did an off-road kind of review series with a bunch of cars. How does that work out with the car dealers, the manufacturers that go to give you cars? I mean, it's, it seemed like this was a regular event that was held for off-road reviewing. Was, am I correct with that or no? There are always um, associations, I think would be the best way to describe it, that put on events like that. So uh, that one was, was done by an association that was created by a guy in, in Washington, D.C., and he handled all the organization, uh, permit, uh, sort of put together a plan, a proposal to the auto manufacturers for, we want to do this off-road thing, comparing crossovers, how well they do, um, invited journalists, to participate, and I was one of the group of seven or eight that was there, and then he pitched it to all the car companies, 
and either they said yes or they said no. So that's why uh, there were some manufacturers that sent cars like uh, Hyundai and Toyota and Honda sent cars. But then some companies didn't send cars like um, General Motors and Subaru decided not to send a vehicle. Um, so it's not not totally in our control how those sorts of events would work. Um, but they're, they're sort of sponsored by an, a journalistic association, generally speaking. Interesting that Subaru and GMC would not send to something like that because you would think that they'd want to show that their cars are better off-road than a lot of the other ones are. Yeah, it's um, a lot of it ends up coming down to business. So we don't, you don't really know why they didn't. Sometimes they could have been uh, decided not to participate because they simply didn't have the car they thought would fit. I believe that was the reason that Subaru decided not to attend is because their Forester, which would have been the car that would have gone to that event, is not ready yet. It's being launched for a new 2019 model year vehicle next month. I'm actually flying to Nashville to see that. Um, So I believe that that was probably the reason why they didn't want to put the old one out there. And it was eight years old, so it might not have done as well as the brand new 2019 model. Wow, they haven't changed the Forester in eight years? I believe it's about eight years. That's a typical typical cycle, is six to eight years. Interesting, very interesting. All right, we're about to go into the national news break. And I want everybody, during the national news, if you're not driving your car, obviously, um, go up online and check out on YouTube or on Facebook, Alex on Autos. And that I'm going to give you some new perspective for the second half of the show we're going to do. If it's on, if you're listening on podcast, you know, you can pause here and you can go check out his website, um, alexonautos.com. I love talking to him. We'll be right back with more from Alex Dykes. Welcome back, everyone. If you're joining us live here for the second half of my show, it's all about the questions. We are here with Alex Dykes, also known as Alex on Autos on YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter, all over the place. He reviews cars in a way you've never seen a car review before. He doesn't take any money from the manufacturers. He just reviews cars like all of us would want a really good review of a car before we went and bought one and that's how I found him and if you're listening on podcast um, you know there was an instantaneous shift off of the national news you never even heard it because I cut those out on the recordings which by the way are heard in over 61 countries around the world so thank you all for listening I'd love it if you'd rate and review because that helps us as Alex knows um, subscribing to the feeds really really helps the shows get found right Alex it definitely does um, I've, I've res- subscribed. It's really funny, you know. I subscribe to both your Facebook and your YouTube, but depending on which web browser I'm in, it'll go. You're not subscribed. <laughs> so oh. it seems like every web browser, I have to hit that subscribe link again, and I laugh. <laughs> I think there's a little tech issue with that, but hey, it means you get extra subscribers based on your uh, internet browser, right? Yes, that's true. And the way YouTube handles subscribers is always unusual. Yeah, well, the way they handle a lot of things is very unusual, but it's created a wonderful platform for you. Now, It has. Are, are there... When you decided and started doing YouTube, and you said, all right, the way I can make money out of this is through advertising, what was going through your mind with okay this is a good idea or not a good idea with the advertising 
it's it's easy with YouTube because advertising is largely out of my control. Um, you just tell Google you would like advertising on or off, and Google takes care of everything. Um, so I am not responsible for who advertises on my channel, for better or for worse, obviously. Right. Um, there could be ads on there that I disagree with, but it is completely out of my control. And I've actually found that um, our, our YouTube viewers are used to that and the way that ads work on YouTube, so they've never complained about the kind of ads that, that run on the channel. Um, but it is, it is completely out of our control. If you're, if you're a channel that's, that's our size and, um, and you want to belong to what they call channel networks, then you can uh, join a group that has the ability to resell more specific ads and theoretically generate more money. Um, but I've always, I've always thought it was just easier to go with Google. And I like the concept of the hands-off, uh, you know, distance from the advertising. Which allows you to remain neutral in what you, how you review. Right. And, and I would say that I don't think it would affect us really, but, um, but it's always the appearance of partiality that you want to avoid. Well, having watched a lot of your reviews, I would have to say you are definitely not partial. You are definitely impartial because some of the reviews you're like, yeah, this car, not so good. (laughs) (laughs) There's a definite issue with this feature or things like that. And that to me is what sets you apart from a lot of other people is you're using it in your reviews. Now you said to me that, you have and you said earlier in the show sometimes you'll record for two hours and you do 30 minute segments so you've really spent a lot of time with these cars because i would imagine even recording for two hours how many hours do you spend prior to actually starting a film with these cars so we typically spend about an hour in general research before the car arrives um, and then we'll drive the car for about 400 500 miles or so uh, then we'll do about another two hours or so of research on the, the specifications and comparisons. Um, and then we'll actually do the, the filming. Uh, and then between myself and the editor that we have on staff, it'll take about eight to nine hours or so to, to assemble the video before it goes to the proof viewers that view it for errors. <laughs> there are always going to be errors. Um, and when when we look at a car... My, my goal is, is, is generally not to say this is a good car or a bad car, but generally say this is the right car for this kind of shopper. So, and I, I firmly believe that there are few terrible cars. In the, they do exist, but there are few of them. Um, and instead, they're cars that tend to be better for one person than another. So if, you, if you're an active family and you've got kids in child seats, then child seat accommodation is going to be more important than other things for you. But if your kids are out of child seats, then all of a sudden some of the child-friendly features don't matter to you anymore um, because your, your kids would fit in adult-style restraint. So all of a sudden the other features of the car may be more important to you. Um, and, and there could be cars that would then fall in and out of consideration because of that. Um, someone might prefer, might say, well, I want the emergency third row. I might want to use it someday, but I don't want to use it every day versus someone that says, no, I, I have a big family. I actually have to use the third row every day. It seems like a lot of the cars, cause I'm five, three and three quarters. Okay. It seems like a lot of the cars that are designed have a specific size person 
that they're designed for, which limits things for those of us who are a little shorter but may want, say, an SUV or a truck or something like that. Is there really, like, an avatar that the car manufacturers that you've seen design a specific car for a certain size person? So you've noticed that you're not an 80th percentile male. Oh, yeah, so not. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah, that that is a problem. Um, cars generally are designed for not specifically the 80th percentile male, of course, but but that's a stereotype in a way. But then some cars definitely are. So if you look at, for instance, uh, I just was driving a Mazda MX-5 from San Diego to Northern California, and it is definitely designed for an 80th percentile male. The seat does not move up. It does not move down. It barely reclines. Um, if you are not in that range, this car is not for you. Um but then many, for other manufacturers, generally more family-focused vehicles, it, this is, tends to be just the sort of sexist world of car design that we live in, um, family-designed vehicles or luxury cars, actually, and, and, and luxury performance vehicles as well, if you've got the cash, will generally have much more adjustability. And so that's one of the things that we like to focus on is, is how adjustable is the driver's seat. Because if you're looking at, and you can look at it sort of uh, through the spec sheets and see, read into it a little bit more, uh, the more ways that the seat moves, the more likely a shorter or taller person is going to be able to uh, accommodate themselves in the seat. Uh, my husband's 6'5", and so wow. uh, there are a lot of cars that he doesn't fit in, and he's always complaining about because they were not designed for the other end of the spectrum as well. Um, and so if you're if you're on either side of the sort of 5'6 uh, to 6'2 window, um, then it is going to be a little bit trickier to find cars. Um, and, of course, that, that definitely skews towards causing more problems for women, since they're shorter on average than men, um, that there may be more cars that have uh, seat designs, et cetera, that are not as well designed for them. I was recently at a, a Honda Pilot event, and the, the journalist that I was paired with for the day, um, she's uh, five, uh, sorry, four foot ten. Oh, wow. And, okay. Um, you know, things that I had not quite realized uh, were obvious with her. Uh, she had trouble hitting the, the power tailgate button because she wasn't tall enough to actually reach it. Um, and then I all of a sudden realized why the Dodge Durango that I own has the button on the side, not on the tailgate itself. Um, and she also had problems with the, the foot-operated handbrake because, uh, foot, foot-operated emergency brake because it hit her shin when it was not on. <laughs> Now, obviously, that's not a good thing if you end up getting into an accident. Um, so that's when it's obvious that uh, that some car manufacturers are thinking a little bit more about this because electric parking brakes or, or actual hand brakes are going to be a little bit better for someone in that situation as well. I've had a lot of trouble in cars reaching the brake pedal because I can't get the mm-hmm. seat low enough. So I literally have to hover my foot in the air to press on the brake. Ooh, Yeah. If you're, if you're really into a specific car and the fitment is not quite right, um, brake pedal extenders would be the, the, the recommended solution there. They can actually, they're sort of like rubber blocks that bolt on to the brake pedal to make the brake pedal taller. Um, or there are some American vehicles. For some reason, we don't see this as much on European or, or, or vehicles from Asia. Um, but a lot of American vehicles do have height adjustable pedals as well. So if that's something that, that, is of interest, you can hunt for those. Uh, Ford is the most likely to include height-adjustable pedals on their vehicles. 
So there's really something that's safe to put on a brake if you fall in love with a car, but that's the only thing stopping you from getting it? You can put it yeah. on and it's safe? You don't have to worry about mm-hmm. adding right. something For on? some vehicles. Okay. So what they'll, what they'll generally do is they'll either drill a hole through the brake pedal uh, or there's some design to, to completely bolt it around the pedal so it's very firmly secured and won't come off. Um, and it's basically just like a big chunk of rubber that, that sits on top and makes the brake pedal closer to you. That's really cool. All right, so then i got to ask you this question. What role do tires really play in cabin noise and ride? And, and what should people look out amount. for? Yeah, they, they play a huge, huge role. Um, there, there are two components to cabin noise when you're, when you're rolling down the road. There's wind noise, um, and you'll usually hear that in the, you know, around your head. It'll seem like it's coming from the ceiling, et cetera. It may be whistling or whooshing noises. And then there's road noise, and that's sort of the, the lower rumble. And road noise seems to affect people a bit more than wind noise, actually. Um, so, like, if you're in a convertible versus a coupe version of the same car, the road noise is probably going to be about the same. But the reason the convertible is louder is because of the wind noise. Okay. Um, and so the, the tire itself can cause, uh, a, a, has a big impact on this, as well as the tire um, uh, the, sorry, the way the vehicle is designed around you know, how much sound deadening there is in the floorboards, et cetera, around the vehicle. Um, and an important thing to remember if you're buying uh, a used car is, does that car have the same tires that it was shipped with when it was new? Because car companies will work with tire manufacturers to create specific tires for their car. Um, and, and this is kind of a weird thing, actually, but They'll, they'll oftentimes label it the same as the tire you can buy from Costco, but you'll only buy that specific tire blend from the dealer, which is very strange. Um, it may not cost you any more than the tire from Costco. Actually, car dealers generally have decent tire prices, to be honest, um, but, but they will have a very specific blend for whatever they were trying to do with that car. All right, and we're going to um, hold the rest of that thought till we come back from our commercial break. We're here with Alex on Autos. All right, everybody, we're back with Alex on autos. Alex, you were talking about tires and that there are certain tires made for certain cars, but and then you started talking about Costco. Let's continue that conversation for another minute or so. Right. So, um, so car companies, when they're developing a new car, they'll work very closely with a tire company <clears throat> to develop a tire that's very specific to that car. So maybe they'll take an existing tire that they sell through Costco or Tire Rack or wherever, and then they'll make modifications of it so that it meets their performance characteristics or their quiet characteristics, that sort of thing. Um, so if you want to make sure that your car is exactly the same as when you bought it, then you want to get those tires from the dealer. Unless, and you could, there's sites where you can do this sort of research, unless it's a tire that has not been modified. Um, so the, the more likely cars to be modified would be luxury cars generally or performance cars. Um, so if you're buying a, you know, a Lexus ES sedan, it's probably had a tire that's been specifically designed for it to be quiet. Um, Lexus and Acura also uh, like to have uh, specially designed wheels that can actually noise cancel within the wheel itself, which is kind of an interesting technology. Uh, and you'll find those on upper-level trims. Um, and if you're buying a regular family car, oftentimes the top trim of the car will actually have more sound-deadening material all the way around, so it may be quieter. I know that a number of the cars have started putting acoustic glass and everything. Now, growing up, my dad had his Cadillac. He loved his Cadillac. I don't remember 
noise when I was in those cars. I, I actually remember in my dad's caddy, when he closed the windows, our ears popped because it just sealed the car so well. But nowadays, you get in these cars, and, and there's so much noise. Have we moved away from well-built cars, or is there something else going on, in your opinion? Cars are differently designed than they were back then. Um, the first thing to remember is that, that tires are much wider than they ever were before. So uh, a newer car is going to handle better, it's going to stop shorter, um, and the tires are, are just so much larger and grippier than they ever were in the past. Um, unfortunately, with wider tires comes more tire noise. So it's, you know, you, it's two ends of the teeter-totter in a way. Um, the other thing is cars used to be body on frame and now they're unibody. And now I'm going to stop me if I start digressing too far. And get going too geeky. Um, but <laughs> once upon a time when you built a car, you built the box on top that you sat in and then it sat on top of a frame that contained the engine and the wheels. And they were separate parts. So you can better isolate sound this way because the the body on top is not rigidly connected to the thing that is generating rumbling noises or engine noises, etc. The downside to that is when you turn the car left or right, the frame moves left or right, and then a moment later the body will move left or right. And so it can have a very disconnected feeling. Um, They're also heavier, so the fuel economy is worse. Um, and generally speaking, they don't crash test as well, so they're not quite as safe. So today, in in the modern world, the only things that, that will have separate bodies and frames will be very large SUVs and pickup trucks, um, because they need the, the frame for heavy-duty payload and towing abilities, um, and it's just it generally, generally speaking easier to design that way. But even things like a Jeep Grand Cherokee or a Dodge Durango, they're still going to be a unibody vehicle just like a passenger car. But the side effect of that is that you do get more noise in the cabin. And a number of them have started adding noise cancellation into the cars, like the Bose noise-canceling headsets. Mm -hmm. And I'm one of the 20% of the population that cannot tolerate noise-canceling. It causes vertigo and nausea. It's really, really bad. And it's a thing. I discovered it when I called Bose to say, is there something wrong with my headsets that I'd gotten as a gift? And they're like, oh, no, you need to return them. We'll We'll give you all your money back. You can't tolerate them. And they're putting it in cars now, and you can't turn it off. Do you think that trend is to sort of have a cheaper way of creating a quieter ride? It's not cheaper, I would say. It actually is more expensive to do things like active noise cancellation, but um, you can cancel out noises that wouldn't be possible to cancel out other ways. Okay. I can I can understand your situation because I have troubles with noise-canceling headphones on long flights, but I don't strangely have a problem with noise cancellation in cars. I was worried when that started becoming more popular that this could be a problem. But I think that the technology has gotten better, so perhaps the number of people that that will have a problem has lowered. Um, The good news is that there aren't very many cars that have it standard, so you have to pay attention to your trim levels, and some trim levels will have it and some will not. not. Um, But it can be a problem for some people. Um, And then it, it depends on the style of active noise cancellation as well, because some manufacturers will, instead of using a microphone and speakers in the car to cancel noise, they'll have other active cancellation methods that are not dealing with the speaker system in the car. So those are less likely to be problematic. Like uh, Honda, in a lot of their vehicles, uh, they basically have have a, a, an active weight underneath the hood that will actually move to try and counteract 
uh, imbalances in the drivetrain to kind of smooth things out. And the new Ram pickup trucks for 2019 uh, basically have what looks like an active shake weight, you know, those shake weight commercials. It basically has one of those things bolted to the frame. Um, so that way when the engine is operating in four-cylinder mode versus eight-cylinder mode, it actually sort of plays a uh, a vibration opposite to what the engine is doing to make it quieter and smoother. So those are less likely to cause problems for people than the, the style of active noise cancellation in the cabin that we see in, in some luxury cars. And I got in one not realizing it had it, and I felt like I was seasick. And mm-hmm. I asked the, the guy, and he goes, oh, yeah, there's active noise cancellation. And thankfully, we hadn't really pulled out of the parking lot yet. And I'm like, is there some way to shut it off? And he said, no, there's no way to disable it. <laughs> and I went, okay, well, this isn't the car for me. Move on to the, to the next one. Right. there. From what I've been told, some vehicles, and this is something that you can consult the dealer with, but some vehicles out there, if you disconnect the microphones for the active noise cancellation system, which the dealer could do for you, then it, it wouldn't have an input, so it wouldn't be playing anything to try and counteract it. That would be able to disable it, but it would depend on the vehicle. All right. Well, we're coming towards the end of the show, and I, I'd, I want to make sure that people know how to find you if they're interested. So what are the, the best, I know I've said it several times, what are the best ways for people to reach out to you and subscribe and listen? best way would be to go to youtube.com slash alexonautos. You can also head over to alexonautos.com. Although, as we just learned during one of these breaks, there are a few videos that are not on our website that are on our channel. We'll have to fix that. Yeah, because Mr. (laughs) B was looking for something, and and he grabbed the phone out of my hand, and he's like, how do do I find this one? (laughs) I'm like, I swear it's there somewhere. (laughs) And I know you're on Facebook as well, and you were kind enough when I was asking some questions through private message, you actually responded to me, which is how I got you on the show. So everybody, Alex really does care and he wants to reach out. So in like the last minute or so of the show, Alex, what would you like to say to somebody who's looking for a new car? The biggest piece of advice that I always give everybody is don't fall into the trap of saying, I want to buy a new car, but I don't want to deal with the circus of taking my kids and my my wife or my husband or whoever with me to go car shop. I just, I'll just do it by myself and save time because if your, if your partner, your spouse is not happy with the car, that's a problem. If your kids don't fit well in the car, that's a problem. So my advice is always to take everybody with you, narrow it down, take everybody with you, have them all sit in the car, figure out how everybody works with the car, then make decisions based on, on that. Um, and I've always said if the dealer is not willing to work with you on that, if they're looking askance at you, if you're you know, dragging your child seat and buckling in your two-year-old, um, then that's not a dealer you want to work with anyway. So most dealers are very accommodating this way. They'll, sure, bring them all in, have them sit down in the car 20, 30 minutes, make sure that everybody's comfortable uh, before you really have go to that next phase of really considering that vehicle. I love that. And there's so many more tips, everybody, on alexonautos.com. And and go up to YouTube and and subscribe to the channel. Alex, thank you so much for being on the show today and all the advice you've given me and my listeners. Well, thank you for having me. It's it's a lot of fun, everybody. Cars are a part of our lives here in America and around the world. So find the right one for you and narrow it down with Alex on Autos. Remember, everybody, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone.
listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.